and welcome to the 24th episode of the LI Law Podcast. I'm your host, Zahava Schechter. The premise of this podcast is to feature issues, developments, and topics affecting the law and how it relates to the 8 million of us who live or work on Long Island, New York, which includes Nassau, Suffolk, Queens, and Kings Counties. If you live or work on Long Island, this podcast on local and state legislative and judicial decisions is for you. Our guest on this special 24th episode is Carl Gerardo, community activist for Nassau County Legislative District 8, trustee of the Franklin Square Public Library, board member of the Central Nassau Rotary Club, Nassau County Corrections Officer, and former volunteer firefighter, and a 9-11 hero. Carl was our guest on this show for the 19th and 20th episodes and is backed by popular demand. If you missed those shows, please be sure to go back to check them out. Today, Carl and I are discussing the results of the Town of Hempstead and Nassau County election held on November 5, 2019, as well as early voting. Newsday's editorial board attributed the results to the Nassau GOP's hammering the point that voters cannot trust Democrats. The, the Republicans focused on taxes and reassessments and convinced voters that a vote for the Republican Party was a vote to reduce their local taxes. Again, according to Newsday, the Democrats' message about Republican corruption did not persuade voters. So, was it a Republican revolt or an aberration? What do we learn about the election results? And how accurate were Carl's predictions as to the winners of the races prior to the election? Please check out the show notes for Carl's contact information, and keep in mind that we will not be providing legal advice to any specific questions. But first, we are recording this episode on November 11th, which is the observed day for Veterans Day this year. It is fitting that we discuss election results on this Veterans Day when we thank all United States military active duty, reserve, retired, and veterans of foreign wars for their service to our country, the democratic rule of law, and the rights and privileges which we hold dear, including the right to vote. Carl, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. So according to the Nassau County Board of Elections, there are 945,155 Nassau County residents who were eligible to vote last Tuesday. Of those, only 255,778 voted, which represents only 27% of the electorate. The Board of Elections accepts affidavit and absentee ballots until November 12th. The ballots must have been postmarked by November 5th. This primarily affects U.S. military personnel and eligible voters who are temporarily outside the county. The election results will be certified November 29th. Four years ago in 2015, in a similarly situated election in which there were no federal or state positions in contention and no county executive, 22% of the electorate voted, five points less than last week. So Carl, why was and is the turnout for these elections so low? Well, it is an off-year election, so you'll see. And also, uh, election day is not a federal holiday on an off-year election, so people are working. That's why we did the early voting. I really don't know why. Uh, we always have low voter turnout on off-year elections because voters are apathetic in some respects. I think that's the problem. I think we take the right to vote for granted. That's a shame because every vote counts, and as we will see as we talk about each election, some of the decisions were made by very few votes, sometimes under a 1,000 votes. Yes. So let's get right into it. We're going to start with the top of the ticket, the race still in contention, town of Hempstead supervisor. 
Carl, you predicted that Laura Gillum would win, but that's not clear yet. Before the affidavit and absentee ballot count, Republican Donald Clavin is ahead of Laura Gillum 50% to 49.1%. Was Diane Madden, the libertarian, who received 0.9% of the vote, a spoiler? And if so, or not, what happened in this race? Well, in some respects, yes, she was a spoiler. She got a little over a thousand votes. But like I said uh, originally, it was going to be a close election. I think the biggest change in anything was the multiple party lines. That makes or breaks the election. Okay, could you explain to our listeners what that means? So basically, uh, with cross endorsements, a, a, a candidate can be on more than one line. Like Donald Clavin was a Republican. He was on the conservative line. He was on the independence line. He was on the tax revolt line. He had a bunch of uh, minority party lines. And to be fair, Laura Gillum was also on the working families yes. line. And I'm not sure. Yeah, just working line. families and uh, the Democratic line. So basically what happens is minority parties can technically control how the elections come out. When you have someone on multiple lines, the conser- uh, conservative line garnered him almost 7,500 votes. Now, there's a legislation they're looking to pass to stop cross endorsements. That's in Albany. That's in Albany. So basically what would happen is those 7,500 votes, close to 7,500 votes, the conservative party would have to run a different candidate. So now things become a little more fair. Is the person going to vote a conservative or are they going to vote Republican? And you really get a telltale sign of how people really feel. Okay. Well, what is the benefit to the conservative party to cross endorse? They control the election. Any minority party, Independence Party and Conservative Party in this area, if you look at the numbers, control how the election turns. But do they get money? What What do they actually receive? Well, everything everything comes down to jobs. Everything, the party that's in control, controls the jobs. Meaning that the Republican Party, which received the support of the conservative party would then be inclined to give jobs to the conservative party in exchange for that support. Is that what you're saying? Of course. Of okay. course. That's how it works. That's how, that's how, that, that was one of the things the Democrats were running on was the same old nepotism. You know, this one works for this one. That's why people, uh, the Democrats were arguing that point about corruption because corruption is based on feeding the machine. And the machine is jobs. So as long as they're in control, they can control the jobs. So we need to be on, you know, fourth, forthright here, Carl. I know that you're involved with the Democratic Party. I'm mm-hmm. actually a registered Republican. I vote according to the candidate. I don't vote the party line. Having I always did that, that. I've always done that as well. So having said that, though, what happened in this race for Town of Hempstead Supervisor, did people just vote the party line? I think a lot of people voted their pocketbook. Because they kept hammering stuff that the town of Hempstead has no control over, you know, the assessment. Which is controlled by Nassau County. Which is controlled by Nassau County. But they tried to make everyone believe the the Lauras were the same person. Laura Curran. Laura Gillen and Laura Curran were the same person. I always believe in an informed electorate. So people need to know more. They, the way they're able to perceive that the assessment, oh, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to taxpayers first. Okay, but you don't control that aspect. But people don't understand that. They just look at what's coming out of their pocket. Okay, so Republicans hammered the tax issue, and Laura Gillen has no control over that, but people didn't know that. Is that your point? That is correct. I also want to ask you if the negative ads, which we all received, were powerful, if they worked, and also why the Democrats didn't do better in in the election before we even 
move on to another election? Well, I think they did. I think they did very well. Let's get realistic. Uh, town of Hempstead is three to one. You know, is there's a lot more Republicans working for the town of Hempstead than Democrats. I mean, she did very well considering. And then when she won, it was a close race as well. You know, they were looking for a complete blowout. Cool. The, Republicans? the Republicans. They were looking. You know, th- these numbers are very close, and they're still. And you know, still up for grabs. Everything is still up to, but they wouldn't have declared unless they had they had a good idea of how the election is going to close out. Well, how do they know before the well, affidavit and absentee? They, they know how many Republicans did absentees. They know how many Democrats did absentees. They've been doing this a long time. They have a pretty good outcome. I would be very interested to see how much closer it gets as time goes on. I think it's going to, like I originally said, I think it was going to be a very narrow gap. In the votes, how many votes? And what are we down to? Less than about 2,000 votes now. I think it might reduce down a little bit more. But you think that in the end, the Republican is going to win? Uh, well, as if the trend continues as it is now, yeah. Let me also ask you, let's go back to Diane Madden. Mm-hmm. Had, had she not run, would her voters have voted for Gillen or Clavin? Well, that's hard to say. Libertarians, traditionally, uh, they're progressive but they're more they're uh, fiscally conservative, so it's hard to say. My belief is they would probably have voted more towards uh, Laura Gillen. So that's a, a loss for the Democrats. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now let's move on to if Clavin, in fact, is named the winner. What will happen to the initiatives of Laura Gillen to reduce nepotism and conflicts of interest, transparency of town contracts and inf- infrastructure projects in the town? For example, how will this affect the alleged corruption at the town-owned catering hall in Lido Beach, whose owner not only hired Joseph Cairo, the head of the Nassau GOP, for legal work, but also donated to the GOP coffers? I think that kind of question answers itself. I'm hoping that some of the positive initiatives that were put forward do not go by the wayside. I am cautiously optimistic, but not feeling that they will move forward anywhere. I think a lot of this stuff will wither and die in the vine, unless it's good for them. Unless it's good for them. But other than Dorothy Goosby, if, if Clavin wins, the supervisor will be Republican right. and everyone else. We're right back council. to where we were two years ago. Everything will go up again and it will be business as usual as what they promised when Laura Gillen won. They promised business as usual. They took all her power away and they kept business as usual. Okay. And also in the building department, I just want to note that uh, Mr. Novello, who was indicted for theft, basically, has been moved from the building department to the sanitation department, still at his salary of $135,000. This was done prior to the election by the Republican town council. Seems to me like nothing's going to change. They don't want anything to change. They, okay. Remember, the town, town of Hampstead is the largest township in the United States. It's controlled by a machine. They need to feed the machine, and that's what they do. Job. So, so why did people vote? I'm, I'm trying to understand. If people saw the corruption, why did people vote for a system in place which feeds the corruption? Because either they work, they have friends that work, or they have family that works for the town. And they, they're fearful because they get threatened. They're fearful of losing their they jobs. They lose their friend getting not promoted. That's how it works. It's all fear-mongering. Mm. That's how it's always been. 
Okay, well, let's move on to the district attorney race in which Madeline Singus was reelected over Francis McQuaid, 60% to 40%. Mm-hmm. Was that considered a safe seat for Singus? I believe so. She's done a great job. And personally, I didn't hear much about her uh, opponent. I didn't see much about him. That was a pretty much of a, a lock race. I mean, she she's doing a really good job as DA. She has uh, done a lot for the, the residents in Nassau County. So do you think there are some Republicans did vote for her? I believe so. Just the numbers bear that out. And next, we're going to go to the town of Hempstead Town Council, in particular the second district, which I'm going to call the Battle of the Toms. <laughs> Thomas Muscarello beat Tom Tweedy 55.5% to 44.5%. Interestingly, Newsday had endorsed Tweedy, who is a Republican, running on the Democratic ticket. What happened there? Well, it's also that district is largely Republican. It was run. It was that's actually my district. Served by a Republican, you know, Ambrosino, Ambrosino who was indicted and right, convicted. Correct. Uh, but if you look at the numbers, how close they were. When you look at it, when it's a, a two-to-one Republican to Democrat district, he did very well. He, Which he, one? We're talking about Tweedy. Tweedy. Tweedy did very well. I mean, uh, the numbers are what? Bared out about 2,000. If you notice, across the board, difference between the Democrat and the Republican is only like 2,000 votes. So that tells me a couple of things. Early voting helped a little bit, and the district is changing slowly. But changing. Changing to be more democratic. Uh, more democratic or just more realistic to looking at the candidates and not the party. Well, actually, that's what we're seeing nationally, that the suburbs of major cities, including Pennsylvania, there was a major change yes. uh, to Democrat uh, candidates there outside Philadelphia, the city of Philadelphia. We're seeing major changes in the suburbs to become less Republican and more Democrat. In the third district, Bruce Blakeman beat Shari James Pierre 56.9% to 43%. Not so close there. Interestingly, Newsday had about 3,000 votes on that one. Okay, so we're up another thousand. Newsday endorsed Blakeman, but also criticized him. So what what's the difference between Bruce Blakeman and Tom Muscarella, who obviously has that Muscarella name? Well, that was a lot of that. I'm sure was the name aspect, but it's the district. The way the councilmatic districts go over so many different communities, it depends where they overlap. What communities did he overlap that are different from the ones that Muscarella did? Now, Muscarella is, is more Garden City and the northern end, where Blakeman is more southern, where you're heading down toward the Five Towns area. Do you think it matters that Blakeman's been in office quite a while, as is Vincent Muscarella, who we're going to talk about next? Mm-hmm. Does it matter that they've been in for a while and that Tom Muscarella just got in? I don't think it matters much. So the tenure doesn't seem no, to be a player. No, because, you know, he was appointed. We're talking uh, about Tom Muscarella. Tom Muscarella was appointed. So they just, well, he's there. Let's see what he's going to do. You have a lot of people that say, well, he just got there. Let's let's see what he can do. They want to give him the benefit give of the, the doubt. Give him the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, absolutely. That okay. happens a lot. That's why they do the appointments. So the person runs as an incumbent and they can say, you know, give me a chance. You know, that's what they try to do. Well, I'm, that's my district. So I'm certainly hopeful that Mr. Muscar- Tom Muscarella is going to do a good job. I'm cautiously optimistic on all the elections. Okay. <laughs> and now let's move. Speaking of tenure, let's move to the town clerk's race. So this was very interesting. Kate Murray, mm-hmm. who is the former town of Hempstead supervisor, three supervisors ago, won over Sylvia Cabana. 
50.9%. Now, actually, I thought Sylvia Cabana was doing a good job. So is she this was. again party line voting? Yes. It also, if you look at the numbers overall, the conservative and independence line gave her additional almost nine, 10,000 votes. Uh, Kate Murray Kate won Murray, by 10,000. No, no, no. She only won by 3,000. But, but when you get the minority parties, I mean, the conservative party gave, us, gave her almost 8,000 and the independence party gave her almost... Uh, 1,800. You remove that from the factor, that's significant. Well, do you think that if Albany changed the rules so that the minority parties could not cross-endorse, would they run separate uh, candidates? Because I think they would have they're to. happy, they would happy have, here. They would have to run separate because the, you couldn't cross-endorse. There would I be think more would, of a free-for-all. Well, not so much a free-for-all. It would give you more options. You have people that are staunch conservatives. They're going to vote the conservative line. You have those that think they're conservatives, but vote that are registered conservatives, but they vote the Republican line. It would definitely change the numbers significantly, I think. And what about people like me who vote the candidate on either side? But you, you then you would have more options as well. Right. Because just say for argument's sake, you wanted to vote. You like the conservative. That's So you would vote that person. It gives you, I, I look at it this way. When it comes to elections, you shouldn't be cookie cutter, one, you know, you only have a couple of options. You need to know what's out there. You need options. And, you know, that's kind of why Diane Madden ran to give you another option. But now, if you would have had a conservative candidate, a libertarian candidate, any of the other minority parties, you have more of an opportunity. More of an opportunity to find because, a candidate who speaks to you, right. who, who represents your position. When you have the cross endorsements, a lot of times I look at it as the candidate has a lock. They know how many they're going to get. And that's not fair. That's not fair as a voter because I only had three choices. Maybe I wanted five choices. On to receiver of taxes vacated by Donald Clavin, who maybe mm-hmm. is the uh, presumptive town of Hampstead supervisor. Janine Driscoll won 52.9% percent of the vote compared to Chandra Ortiz, who received 47.1%. Close race. Close race. It was an open seat. No one knew either person. So that's going to be more, a lot of a party line vote. Party line. I mean, if you look if you look at it just from the basic numbers, just if they were Democrat and Republican going head to head, Driscoll would have had 66,000 and Ortiz would have had 65,000. Now you add in the conservative vote of 8,000 and the independence of 1600 you see, you see the difference how the minority parties affect so that would have been a super close election if it was just head to head like that and how Republican many versus how Democrat. many votes from the working families party did working families she got 2700 oh, so that much that, less much much less it's yeah. a much a smaller party but that's what i'm saying how they control an election that close an open seat would have only been less than a thousand votes, Very which close. would have come down to write in. I mean, would have come down to absentee ballots. The minority party pushed them over the edge. Now let's move on to the Nassau County Legislature. It was a big night for incumbents. Mm-hmm. Well, well that's kind of understandable. I just want to focus on Vincent Muscarella again, sure. my representative in the eighth district. Mm-hmm. Muscarella received 66.7% of the vote to Barbara Hafner's 33.2%. You called that one. Mm-hmm. I ran that I ran that yeah, election. Right. I know that. So what happened? To, does a Democrat have any hope of winning in this yeah, in this race? Absolutely. Cuz Vinny's been there 20 Four years. 24, 24 years. years. He's been there since the beginning. And there's no there are no tenure limits. No, there should be term limits. Absolutely. So what happened in that race? 
what happened is it's overwhelmingly almost three to one Republican to Democrat. It, the way, see, gerrymandering has caused these districts to be the way they are. Franklin Square is cut up. All the one community has multiple places. So gerrymandering has caused this. But I look at it this way: uh, for somebody that ran for that seat a couple of times, it's about consistency. You just keep going at it. You keep going at it. You're gonna. People are gonna see change necessary at some point. But I want to ask you about the candidate because Barbara Hafner is a, a very impressive candidate. Right. Is there any candidate who can win against Vinny Muscarella? I, I believe, okay, I ran against him on the ballot twice, ran against him physically three times. I believe in consistency of candidate. See, a lot of times you have somebody, it's a new person every year. So you don't know who they are. Right. So you people are going to go with what they know. They're not going to go with somebody new a lot of times because we already know what we have. Right. So, Carl, are you making an announcement today on no, the Eli Law podcast? No, no. Let, let's see what happens down the road. But I think Barbara should do it again if she really feels up to it. Consistency of candidate. You go against them. If you look at my numbers when I ran, each time I ran, I gained ground because people knew who I was. Mm-hmm. And I didn't go away when the election was over. I stayed in those communities. That's why I advocate for LD8. I loved all those people when I ran. So I will. I stay in the floor park area, and I stay in all the West Hempstead area because consistency. So Barbara, if she want Barbara, if you're listening, if you want to do it, do it again. Stay consistent, stay active, because that's how you build poor term, but credibility with the voter. Right, and also you keep the your competitor accountable. Absolutely. So if if Amy Muscarella knows that Barbara's going to run again, he's got to really watch what he's doing. Right. Okay. Well, when I ran, you know, Vinny knew wherever I was everywhere. If you ever looked at any of my campaigns, I was everywhere. That's how it was. And where he was, I was. And this is how it worked. Because that's how you keep yourself in the mind of the voter. They see you at different things, even when it's not election. Because most times, let's get realistic, politicians come for photo ops, mm-hmm. hi, glad hand, and they're mm-hmm. out the door. That's right. If you really care about the community, and I say this to anyone that was elected, if you really care about the community, don't come around when you're looking for a vote. Come around all the time. Have community meetings. Right. You know, not just one community, all the communities you represent. Okay. And to the, the competitors, out of sight is out of mind. Correct. So you've got to be right there right. challenging throughout. One of the first time I was on the ballot, I ran and I lost the first words out of my mouth to uh, Vinnie Muscarella after I congratulated him for winning was, I'll see, you next, I'll see you in two years. Let's talk about the judicial races. As an attorney, it is striking how residents' lives are impacted on a daily basis by judges who are politically well-connected enough to get elected. Mm-hmm. The faulty system of cross-endorsement ensures that an even number of Republican and Democrat-aligned judges sit on the bench and mete out justice. But being of a particular party certainly is not an indication of merit or a predictor of competency or of a fair jurist. Moreover, there are no term limits for these judges except aging out at 70 years. So if the judges find favor with the political bosses of the respective parties, they remain the only choice and voters are stuck with no options. I think this is a horrible system of choosing judges with no competition and no ability or incentive for judges who are impartial and fair to get a fair chance at winning. What do you think? I think you kind of nailed that uh, on the head. I mean, the hardest part with judges is it's all done by the party bosses. There's a lot of good judges out there. I mean, 
there are good judges, but they're also not so good judges. Right. When you're dealing with the judges, that's the hardest part. That's why if you have a notice, they're at the top of the ballot because they just want to get that done. But my point here is as much as the legislators are very important to our daily life, Judges make decisions about our families. They make decisions about our pocketbooks. They they make decisions that directly impact us. And I would rather see judges who are fair and impartial and have merit rather than those who are politically connected. Well, yeah. And what makes me always makes me laugh is, um, yes, they run on a political party, but during they can't discuss politics. So it's kind of. Ridiculous. I don't know what it means to be a political judge. You, the judges are not hearing cases involving involving politics. They're hearing cases involving people who are bringing claims. Yes, but there they also a Republican or, or Democrat. But they answer. also get money to it all run. Comes down to money. It all comes down. Everything comes down to money. Everything. Uh, there's one thing we did forget to go over. I just yeah. realized. What we didn't discuss. Kate Murray and Sylvia Gamal. Yeah, we did. Did we? Yeah, we did. Oh, okay, then I I'm sorry. Because okay. I want to. Do you want to say more about Kate? I just, I just found that I found I was just looking at the numbers again. The island of factor didn't figure into that as much as it did in some respects. But well, since we were talking numbers before, this is what I wanted to discuss. Sylvia Cabana on a head-to-head race, head-to-head Democrat versus Republican, had sixty-eight thousand votes. Kate Murray had sixty-four thousand. Like I said, Sylvia would have won. She would have won because. Kate Murray got almost 8,000 of the conservative line and 1,800 of the independence line. And how many did Sylvia get from working families? got about 3,400. See, that's what I'm saying, the importance. This was a perfect example because I knew Sylvia was going to win. I believed it because of the job she was doing. But it came down to the minority parties putting somebody that I don't think is... The right fit for the job. Well, let's talk about that since we're back to mm-hmm. Kate Murray. What is in it for Kate Murray? Why does she want this position? I don't know. What is she going to run for next? County executive? Who knows? Uh, this is just a way to get back in. Get back. The, get back position. into into uh, the public eye. You know, out of sight, out of mind, like you were saying before. Mm-hmm. Same thing. Now you're back in the public eye. Who knows what she's planning on? Uh, well, she lives in Levittown, so I don't think it covers it. But, uh, you know, we just had uh, Peter King announce he's not running for re-election. So let's see who's going to line up for that next. Very interesting. We'll have to talk about yeah, that, that another day. Time. Absolutely. Okay. So there were nine days of early voting. Yes. Oh, actually, let me take a step back. Mm-hmm. Peter King's daughter also is not running, did not run for re-election. Correct. Okay. There were nine days of early voting at great expense to the county. According to Newsday, 30,018 30018 residents voted early. About 1,000 more Republicans than Democrats voted early. And 10 to 12 poll workers were present at each poll during all early election hours. So, Carl, mm-hmm. is early voting worth the expense? Are there too many days? Are there too many poll workers? This was a test balloon, so they would have to see how it worked. I liked early voting. I so voted I. on the first day. Me too. I uh, didn't have to worry about running around on election day, which a lot of people do. I found it seamless, very easy to do. I enjoyed it. I do know that a lot of the polling areas, the people that run the polling areas, you know, where they physically were, were not pleased with the nine days. It cost them a lot more money and overtime for employees and stuff like that. So, so I think nine you may, days too many? Nine days is reasonable, but I think they need to be realistic on where they put them. 
The library had to be open, had to pay people. That's the West Hempstead right. Library. I mean, I'm sure there's other places they could do, like VFW halls and places that may not cost a lot of money to keep them open for nine days. I believe there was not a polling place in uh, Great Neck or Port Washington. I don't think North Hempstead had any Correct. Uh, And that all. was a problem for the people who live there. Although it was good that you could vote anywhere within anywhere the county where you found it, yourself. Anywhere. And it was very quick. Oh, just, yeah. Just a few minutes. I found it very easy with the doing it on the iPad, done, and out. It's interesting, though, when they ask you your name and your address and your date of birth. I could have said I was anybody, right? There was well, no proof that well, it if you Well, if you look on the iPad, it, ha it has the voter registration. Your signature is there. It's obvious. It behooves the poll worker to make sure that the signature right. is the it's same. the same. It's the same. They also had, if you got the card, you know, your voting card in the mail, you could scan it, that kind of stuff. I didn't know that. Yeah, that's what the little scanner was for. They, they had a little barcode. You could have scanned so it, and it would have popped you, popped the next you right up. we get that card, we should keep it. Well, if they're going to keep doing it that way, sure. And if we continue to have early voting, do we need three hours paid time off on Election Day to vote? That was the law which was passed by Albany in April of this year. What do you think? Well, I'd like to see how many people actually used it. That would be a good uh, follow-up to that. Basically, the law, my understanding, is to encourage people to vote. And, and it was for, I believe, on Election Day, correct? That is correct. However, only 27% of the electorate voted at any point. I don't think we early. get more than 32% normally anyway. I think that's very sad. It is very sad. It is. People, like I said earlier, people become apathetic. they just like, oh, you know, it's not going to change. Nothing's going to change. Well, it doesn't change if people don't, don't get, off the, get off the couch and vote. It doesn't gonna ever change. Well, do you have any final thoughts about this election? The only final thought I have is I'm glad people came out and voted. Regardless of who you voted for, the most important thing is your right to vote. And what I'm going to say to all those that were elected, good luck. Keep the voters in mind. Don't worry about the party. Worry about the people. That's what I have to say. Okay, I agree with that. And that's it for our 24th episode. Thank you, Carl, for again coming on the podcast. And I, I expect you will be back at our, at our um, next election or before. Whenever you want me. Thanks. And to our listeners, be sure to download this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, please rate us with a review that might start. I just heard on the LI Law podcast that Supreme Court Judge Roy Mann denied the petition filed by the Village of Floral Park to immediately stop construction on the Islanders' new arena at Belmont Park. As a result, work continues on the area, which is scheduled to open in 2021. The 43-acre property will include a 19,000-seat arena, 250-room hotel and parking area, and 350,000 square feet of upscale shops and restaurants. The LI Law Podcast lets you know what's going on on Long Island and is your podcast for local tips which educate and entertain. Thanks for listening.